Hey guys, it is good to see you all. Welcome to Grace Fellowship. It is good to have you with us. Those of you who are with us online, thumbs up to you guys. It's good to see you guys or for you to see me or however that works. Um, The rest of you, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you so much to the worship team for leading us in that time of worship. So good to connect with the Lord in song. Hey, uh, if you have not uh, been around, I'm going to bring you up to speed. We're going through the book of Acts in this sort of weird bouncing around kind of fashion. And we have been talking the last couple of weeks about what it means for us to really join God in the mission that he is on. Sometimes we can forget as people on earth that God existed long before us. God's going to exist long after we're here, and God has always had a plan that he is working. Jesus himself said, my father is always at work, and one of the incredible things about being a follower of Christ is that it's an invitation to join him in what he is doing. So I don't know how many of you would say that you sometimes get that backwards, but I do. Sometimes what I do is decide what I'm going to do and then invite God to join me in it. And there are other times when I decide what I'm going to do and invite God not to join me in it because I know it's not what he's about. But really what he's called us to, what he's invited us to as followers of Christ is to be involved in what he is doing. It's an incredible invitation. And we've been talking about the fact that if you accept that invitation to sort of be on God's mission, then it's going to change some things in your life. There are some things that you are going to expect because you're on mission with God. And we talked about two of those last week. The first one was we said, expect opposition. If you're going to be on mission with God, you're going to have to expect some opposition. Now, a lot of you know I grew up playing sports, and I was thinking this week about um, a football game where the entire game, I did not get hit by the opponent one time. The entire game, not a bruise, not a scratch, didn't even have to shower after the game. I was completely untouched because I was in the stands. If you want to sit in the stands and watch God work, then you can just sit back and not be a part of it and not not enjoy the thrill of it and not be a part of that adventure. And to some of us, that's kind of exciting, except that you miss God when you do that. But if you're going to accept his invitation and get involved in the game, you are going to get scuffed up. It's as simple as that. And nobody gets through their life, whether they're walking with Christ or not walking with Christ, without some bumps and bruises, amen? Is that true? So, so you're gonna expect opposition. Jesus said that they opposed him and they will oppose all who follow him. So there is a world that is opposed to what Christ is doing. And if we join him in what he's doing, they're gonna oppose us as well. The second thing we said last week was you can expect some misunderstanding. You can expect that not everybody is going to understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, and it's not going to make sense to everybody. I I think of this often. um, You know, my poor parents and my wife's poor parents, when we were a young couple, and especially when we were young parents, that was like, you know, 10 years ago, we were young. And when we were young parents... We had all these ideas about how God wanted us to raise our kids. 
And none of those ideas had ever occurred to our parents. And I remember, you know, explaining things to them and, and just dreading that we're going to have to talk to mom and dad. We're going to have to explain. Yeah, we're going to do this thing that you're going to think is highly weird. And we did all these highly weird things. We, we handled our money differently than uh, the world handles its money. We, we devoted our lives to things that the world doesn't devote their lives to. And even with our children, the way that we raised them, the things that we taught them, the priorities that we had in their lives... I, I remember when we decided that we were going to homeschool our kids during their elementary age years, and I remember just thinking, man, our parents are never going to understand this. And guess what? They didn't. And it was rough, and it was hard because you feel like, man, nobody gets what we're doing. And yet, now they look back and go, hey, good job, guys. But man, at the time, they didn't understand and there's going to be times if you're going to walk with God where people are not going to understand what you're doing. So those are two things. You can expect opposition. You can expect misunderstanding. And today we're going to continue on this discussion of what to expect when you're on mission with God. You remember, um, if you're old enough to remember, the early days of the internet, right? Remember when you first got an email account? And, you know, you had dial-up and it went... <coughs> you know, like that when you, when you turned it on. And none of us had phones in our pockets that connected to the internet, right? And I remember there was this thing, some of you I'm sure will relate to this. I remember I, I got this email from a friend, probably my brother, and uh, it was, you know, it had this attachment. It just said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Watch closely for the details. And you open the attachment and you lean down and there's pretty music and a butterfly and all that kind of stuff. And then this creature goes, ah! jumps up in your face like that. And everybody jumps out of their skin. Why? Because you don't expect it. I, I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking uh, the year was 1976. I didn't know the Lord yet. I was 11 years old. And my parents pretty much were taking a hands-off approach to parenting, and I got to go see whatever movies I wanted to go see. And there was this new Stephen King movie that had come out called Carrie. And I'm 11 years old, and I go to see Carrie. Now, let me just be clear. Sometimes I talk about movies, and I recommend them. I am not recommending that you go and see Carrie, especially since not only is it not going to edify your soul, but it's a terrible movie looking back. At any rate, um, I'm there watching, and all these terrible things happen, and the whole, the whole town is getting killed, and the high school is burning, and all these terrible things are happening. And then finally, it all resolves. And it comes down to the end of the movie, and finally there's peace and, and, and there's this, this teenage girl in a white lacy dress with flowers and she's going to the grave of Carrie and she leans down and again the birds are chirping and the butterflies go by. And she leans down and puts the flowers on the grave and an arm shoots up out of the ground, grabs her by the I'm telling you, when this happened, I was sitting like this. I remember this to this day. I was sitting with my arms crossed, and I had a you know, friend with me, so I didn't want to look uncool. So instead of screaming and throwing my popcorn in the air like everybody else, I just went. <laughs> and when I got home, 
There was blood on both sides of my sides from where I dug my fingernails in rather than screaming because it freaked me out so bad when this hand came up out of the ground because I wasn't expecting it. I wanted to make sure I remembered that right. I went back on YouTube and I watched that final scene. I'm telling you, it was the lamest thing I've ever seen. Based on, it's like, it's like when you go back and watch Star Wars now and you see the strings that are holding the thing. You're like, wow, why did we think this was cool? But man, it freaked me out then. And, and the reason is, when you're expecting one thing and you get another, it absolutely knocks you off kilter, doesn't it? And so this whole idea of what to expect when we're on mission with God is really important for us to dig into because um, as we discussed, what you expect and what you get are often not the same thing. And that's my point today. If you're going to walk with God, expect the unexpected. (laughs) I wish I could be more specific than that, but you're going to have to expect the unexpected. The truth of the matter is that um, we're all different. Some of us are adventurous. Some of us love a surprise. Some of us love being on an adventure where there's a a sense of danger and I'm not sure if we're gonna make it and we're ziplining through the jungle in South America and we're going, isn't this great? Others of us are like, no thank you, I will sit home on my couch where I am comfortable. We're not all wired the same way. Some of us love that adventure. Some of us love the surprise. Others of us, we plan our work, we work our plan, and we are not happy when someone interrupts. Amen? So, you know, no matter who you are, though, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to get ready for the unexpected. It's going to be an adventure. It's, it is impossible for us to be fully prepared for what God is going to do in our lives because he doesn't tell us in advance everything that he's going to do and sometimes it catches us by surprise. And I know that some of us are uncomfortable with that, but there's nothing we can do about it because to walk with God is always to deal with the unknown and there's a reason for that. Are you ready? You're the creation and he's the creator. That means by definition, he's bigger than you. It means by definition, he's more powerful than you. It means that by definition, he knows things that you don't know. He's the creator and you're the creation. I I want you to, to just trek with me a little bit into the weeds of theology for a second. And I want us to think theologically. And I want us to get our theology right, right? Um, there, was a, there was a great theologian, uh, a church father, 1,800 years ago by the name of Anselm. And I know that a lot of you sit around reading 1,800-year-old philosophy, so you probably know this already, but Anselm has this great quote. They made me memorize it in seminary. Here it is. God is a being greater than which cannot be conceived. It's not just that God is a being greater than all other beings, It's that God is a being beyond your imagination. He is a being so much greater than everything else that we have that every way that we try to describe him falls short. We go, he's a father, right? Because the scripture calls us him our heavenly father. And then we go, well, what do I know about fathers? And we think about the fathers that we have had or the fathers that we have known or ourselves as fathers. And somehow we are missing the boat because he's not like that. 
Or, or we hear about the Trinity. God is triune, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God and three persons eternally existing. And we go, wow, what is like that? And I always crack up at the Sunday school illustrations of what that is like. They say, well, you know, it's like water. There's water can be liquid or it can be uh, solid if you freeze it or it can be steam if you heat it up. And so God's like that. The only thing is that God is at all times Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't switch. That's something called modalism, which is an ancient heresy. And we teach it to our Sunday school kids because we don't know what else to say to describe this God who is greater than we can imagine. So we have to understand this theologically. God is beyond your wildest imagination. Nothing and no one could possibly be greater uh, and, and that's because of a theological doctrine called God's infinitude, which is to say that whatever God is, he is without measure. It doesn't mean God is everything. That too is a heresy. It, it means that whatever God is, he is without limit. So when we say God is love, there is no limit to God's love. When we say that God is wise, there is no limit to his wisdom. He cannot get wiser. He cannot get more loving. He cannot get more powerful. He cannot learn and become more knowledgeable because whatever he is, he is without measure. All right, you following me, theologians? We good? Okay. You and I are severely limited. That's where you're supposed to say amen. amen. Right? You're supposed to look at your spouse and say amen. You are severely limited. Your mind cannot possibly comprehend everything there is to know about God. We can understand some things about God. And we should try to understand everything that he has revealed to us about himself. And, and that's an important thing. But to try to say that we understand everything about him because we studied theology. Guys, theology, <laughs> welcome to seminary. Theology is not the study of God. Theology is the study of what has been revealed about God. So there's a lot about God that has not been revealed, right? Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11. New Testament, if you're in Acts, the next book over is Romans. Go to Romans chapter 11, and we're going to study a little bit about what has been revealed about God. Romans 11, beginning in verse 33. Now, now, while you're turning there, let me just tell you that Romans is, is arguably, the book of Romans is arguably the greatest theological treatise in the history of the world. You're probably never going to find a bigger gold mine of theology than in the book of Romans, and in particular, in the first 11 chapters. He gives us theology for 11 chapters, tells us who God is, what's going on with man, what's wrong with man, what God has done about what's wrong with man, and he gives us all the theology about this. If you want to understand the teaching of scripture about the general issues of God and man, read the first 11 chapters of Romans, and it ends this way. After, after just pouring out this amazing theological picture, here's what he says, verse 33. Oh, 
the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's how Paul ends his great theological treatment, 11 chapters. He ends it with that statement, who could possibly know the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge and the greatness of God? No one could ever know. He gives us all 11 chapters of theology and then chapter 12, verse one, that's the verse you've heard before. It begins this way. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 11 chapters of God is like this and then a therefore. And the rest of the book of Romans tells us how we are to live because God is who he is. So it is important for us to understand everything we can about who he actually is. What has been revealed to us from scripture. And so my fellow theologians, there are some things that we can expect with regard to God because he's revealed them about himself. We have them in the scripture. We know that God cannot act outside of his nature. So ever, however God's nature is, that's how he's gonna respond. For example, God is love. Since God is love, you can expect God to always do what he does out of love. But... Don't go so far as to think you always know what that will be. And that's where we get messed up. We see God not doing the thing we think he should have done and we go, oh, I guess he doesn't love me. Or we go, I guess he's not really there. Or maybe he's there but he's not all powerful. Or maybe he can't hear my prayer. We come up with all these ideas to try to explain why God's not doing what we think he ought to do. Let me tell you why God's not doing what you think he ought to do. Because he's smarter than you. That's why. So we know that God is love but that doesn't mean we know how he will act out his love. We know that God is a source of all wisdom, right? Whatever God does is always done with perfect wisdom. So you can expect him to do what is wise. But don't assume that you know what is wise. Because God is wise and you're not. Because God is God and you're not. And it's so important for us to get this because otherwise we will get knocked off track while we're on this mission with God. We're gonna see things happening that we don't understand. We're gonna see that things are not happening the way we think they should. And when that happens, we're gonna resent God. And we're gonna believe that God somehow messed up, God is somehow wrong, God has somehow forgotten me or whatever our explanation is. The truth of the matter is, you don't understand and it's okay not to understand because you're the creation and he's the creator. It makes perfect sense that we wouldn't always understand. Peter had to learn this lesson over and over and over again. 
Matthew, 6, Matthew 16, take, take your Bibles and go to the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 16 is a really interesting chapter because it's there in Matthew 16 famously that Jesus is asking his disciples, you know, hey, who does everybody say that I am? And they give him a bunch of answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And it's there in Matthew 16 that Peter goes to the front of the class and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes to his little book and pulls out a gold star and puts it on Peter's robe and goes, yes. And he high fives Peter and he goes, you finally got one right. Good job, Pete. In fact, he wasn't even called Pete then. He changed his name. His name was Simon. He started calling him Peter because Peter means rock. And he said, on the rock of the statement you have just made that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'll build the whole church. He honors Peter. He, he high fives him right in front of everybody. That happens there in Matthew chapter 16. It's interesting because the very next passage, something else happens. Look at verse 21 in Matthew 16. From time to time, or excuse me, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter, he just got the gold star. And then Jesus starts going, by the way, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die, it's just gonna be terrible. And, and, and Peter walks up, goes, ah, Jesus, come over here. And he walks him over and he puts his arm around his shoulder and he goes, listen, I'm not sure what you're getting at here, but that ain't gonna happen because you're the Messiah. And so let me just correct your theology, Jesus. And, and I love his wording here. He says, God forbid it, Lord. He says, no way, Lord. And this is not the only time Peter says, no, Lord. He says, no, Lord, all the time. And it gets him in all kinds of trouble. Remember when uh, Jesus went to wash the disciples' feet? What did Peter say? You will never wash my feet. Jesus says, oh, really? Well, um, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Peter goes, oh, well, in that case, wash my head and my body and my hands. And Jesus goes, oy vey, Peter. <laughs> and, and he has to explain to him, and Peter says, you will never wash my feet. No, Lord. And then and later that same night, he says, you know, um, one of you is gonna betray me. And they all say, who is it, who is it, who is it? And, and eventually, Peter goes, well, at least I'll never betray you. And he looks at me and goes, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me three times tonight. And once again, Peter goes, no, Lord. Listen, I don't know if you're in the habit of saying no, Lord. But if you are, you either don't understand what no means or you don't understand what Lord means. Because if it's no, he's not Lord. And if it's Lord... 
It's not no. Lord means boss. Lord means the one who's in charge, the one to whom I answer, the one who is my king. And he is my Lord and I don't get to tell him no, but when I don't understand, what am I supposed to say? Peter constantly doesn't understand. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? They come to arrest him. This is Jesus' whole plan. He says, you know, my, my hour has come. They come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulls out a sword, starts swinging at people's heads, chops a guy's ear off right there in the garden. Jesus picks up the ear, doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm sure it's there, looks at Peter and shakes his head and puts the ear back on the guy. See, Peter is constantly stepping up and doing what he does out of commitment. He loves Jesus. He thinks he understands. And so he keeps stepping up and doing stuff that turns out to be the wrong stuff. It's not that he's a bad guy. It's not that he's opposed to Jesus. He's sincere and committed, but he's clueless. I think we should have Grace Fellowship shirts that say, welcome to Grace Fellowship, and on the back, I'm clueless. Because <laughs> we're clueless. We, we, we don't understand. And, and Peter didn't understand that Jesus, because of the nature of who he is, is going to be unpredictable. Even in the book of Acts, he's still learning that lesson. Turn to Acts chapter 10. After John and before Romans, you find Acts. Go to chapter 10. We don't have a ton of time to cover this, but I want you to see this whole story unfold. Let me read to you the first eight verses of Acts chapter 10. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. So this guy is not a Jew, he is a Roman soldier, he's a commander in the Roman army, but he believes in the God of the Jews and he is sympathetic to the cause of the Jews and he takes care of them and he prays to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he sends these guys to Joppa because an angel appeared to him and said, go get this guy, Peter. He has a message for you. Now, meanwhile, there's some stuff going on in Joppa with Peter because God's got to get him prepared for this. And so, so um, Peter is being prepared for this while these guys are on their way to Joppa to get him, all right? Um, now, here's what you have to understand if you're going to understand the story. Every good Jew knew that they were supposed to stay away from Gentiles, Gentiles are an entirely different class of people. We do not mix with them. They've been taught this since they were children. And specifically, they are to stay away from Romans, and even more specifically, from Roman soldiers. 
So Peter is about to get an invitation to do something he has been taught his entire life that he should never do. If you set foot on the property of a Roman Gentile, you were ceremonially unclean and you could not go to the temple to worship God in that condition. They had been taught this their whole lives. So there's no way Peter could have expected God to do what he was about to do. And so he had to get Peter ready, verse nine, and and we won't read it, but nine through 16, basically, there's this amazing set of visions that Peter sees, and uh, God shows him all these animals that in the Jewish law are unclean. He says, I want you to eat these animals. And Peter says, no, Lord. And so God does it again, shows him the vision again, and tells him again, I want you to eat these animals. He says, no, Lord. Finally, the Lord says, listen, from now on, When I say something's clean, it's clean. Stop telling me no. Do what I'm about to tell you. I'm sending some men and you need to listen to them, okay? That gets us down through about 22. They come and find him and and look at verse 24. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called them Uh, together, had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Not good. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. He's now in the house of a Roman soldier Gentile, surrounded by Gentiles. And he said to them, verse 28, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Obviously, he had read how to make friends and influence people. (laughs) This is a wonderful greeting. You ever imagine we had a guest speaker that came today and you didn't know who he was, and some guest speaker gets introduced and he comes up and everybody's got he's got everybody's attention and he says, Now obviously you all know that I'm in a different class than you are, and you I probably shouldn't even be hanging out with low lives like you. Does that make you want to get your tablet out and take notes? Somehow, Peter blows this whole thing right from the beginning by insulting the people. But he says, I'm not even supposed to associate with you. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent me? And then Cornelius says, oh, well, I had this vision and they told me that I should send for you and you would have a message for us. And beginning in verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And he preaches the gospel and the entire place gives their lives to Jesus. And this is the beginning of Gentiles in the family of God. This, for us, it turns out, is maybe the second most important day in history. First is the cross. We'll we'll put the cross and the resurrection together. we'll, We'll give that important weekend, okay? And then a little bit of time goes by, and now Gentiles the, the, the gospel is opened up to Gentiles. That happened because God did something that no good Jew would have ever expected him to do. And because of this event, the church at Antioch is born. 
They send out Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel to the Gentile world. And because of that, you and I are here today. Guys, ah, the modern church needs to remember this so much. Like they really thought that those other people from the other country, the other race, the other skin tone, they weren't like us. And so we got to keep our distance. I'm not saying everything is going uh, appropriately in terms of the issues that are being raised with race relations today, but I just want to say praise God that we can't just stick our heads in the sand anymore and go, well, we just don't hang out with people of another race. God has a plan to reach all people. If you are Hispanic and you think God only wants to reach Hispanic people, you are wrong. If you're Asian, you think God only wants to reach Asian people, you're wrong. If you're white, you think God only wants to reach white people, you're wrong. Now, granted, I know we all grow up in our communities and our families and what we're comfortable with what we're comfortable with, and it's not easy to cross over borders sometimes and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, if we're gonna name the name of Jesus, if we're gonna say we're on mission with God, we're gonna be serious about racial reconciliation just like God is. That's what the body of Christ needs to do today. Now, that was just a little side note. But here's what I want you to take away. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how much you think you understand. God is doing things that you know nothing about. And sometimes, if you join him in his mission, you're going to get caught up in one of these incredibly weird things that you had no idea God would ever invite you into. No one expected a son to be born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. No one expected the plagues that delivered the sons of Israel from the, people, from the um, tyranny of Egypt. No one expected manna from heaven and water from a rock while they were in the wilderness. Nobody expected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to get rescued from the fiery furnace from Jesus himself. No one expected a virgin birth. No one expected the stone to roll away after Jesus was laid in the tomb. And no one expected the miracles that we see happening again and again and again in the book of Acts and even in our lives today. No one expects God to do the unexpected. It's just that he does it all the time. When you're on mission with God, you can expect the unexpected. Jesus is full of surprises. He never changes in his nature. He, he, he's not gonna become more loving. He's not gonna become more wise. He's not gonna become more powerful. He never changes in his nature but how he acts out of that nature, you don't understand. Your walk with God is meant to be an exciting adventure. Don't you think it's time you stopped assuming that you knew what God's plan for your life was supposed to be and instead grabbed him by the hand and let him walk you through where he's taking you? Don't you just want to be where God is? Don't you just want to be involved in what God is doing? If you're going to walk with God, expect opposition, expect misunderstanding, and by all means, brothers and sisters, expect the unexpected. You never know exactly where he's going. You never know exactly what he's doing. But if you hold his hand and go where he's going, 
you are in for the adventure of a lifetime. Let's pray together. God, we just want to come before you now and confess that we are really small and you're really big. That, um, that our wisdom is minuscule compared to yours. That our strength is tiny compared to yours. That for us to think we understand who you are and what you're doing is like an ant thinking that he understands what we are and what we're doing. Father, help us to trust you more. Help us to rest and to stop saying, no, Lord. Help us to be open to the things that you're doing even when they're uncomfortable for us. Father, shape us, mold us, stretch us, make us who you want us to be. For we're your children and we want to honor you with our lives. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.